How many of you are ready to go through growth track tonight? How many of you need a manual? Anybody need a manual? Raise your hand if you need a manual. Here's two people that need a manual. Do we have manuals ready? All right. Uh, Let's pray and, and you can be seated. Then they can see your hands better. Father, thank you for blessing the house of God tonight and the word of God tonight. And we pray, help us, Lord, to understand what you've laid your hand on us to do, what our calling is, and why Turning Point is here. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Praise God. Amen. All right. Now, if you need a manual, raise your hand one more time so they can spot you. And I don't see anybody with manuals yet. Well, when they come in, y'all can raise your hand again. So I don't want you to have to keep it up that whole time. Um, Okay. Everybody happy? I think summertime has arrived, hasn't it? I mean, we're in the 90s. Here we are. And it's only just begun. Every year about this time, I think about moving somewhere. But then I think, no, you know what? Being in the epicenter of God's will is the safest place and the best place to be, no matter what the temperature is. Uh, Besides, I was raised in Texas. I mean, I should be used to this by now. Amen? All right. I don't know where the manual... Did you all get one yet? Okay. Sorry, everybody. We're out again. Hey, it's a popular manual. Um, Do you have anybody you can look on with? Can they look on with you, Kelly? Okay. All right. All right. We're going to start on page 95 tonight. Page 95, we're going to talk about your mission. Your mission. You have a mission. I'm sorry. Mine says 95. That's weird. All right. Let me... Oh, I see. You're right. Thank you. 85. I feel better already. Mission. Because on page 95, it says your mission. It looks very similar. But mission, here we go. We're going to talk about mission. And the reason we're, we're doing this growth track is we want, uh, especially the core of our church, to understand why we're here. We're not just a church. I was telling somebody Sunday that when you join a church, you're really not joining a church. You're joining a vision. You're joining a vision. Why is that church there? What is their emphasis? What are they about? What what are they doing? Uh, And if that vision resonates with you, then that's a real good sign that God is joining you to that vision. I've never joined a church in my whole life, haven't always pastored, I was in a few really good churches in my life before I senior pastored, but I was never in one where I was not drawn to the vision of that house. And that vision resonated with my vision. And so there was a meeting of the minds and a meeting of the hearts and so on and so forth. So we we want you to understand why we're here. Because it's one thing to know how to do a thing. It's another thing entirely to know why you're doing what you're doing, why you're doing it. So... The goal of this class, and if you need a pen, raise your hand real quickly. If you need a pen, anybody need a pen? All right, get ready to write. A lot of writing tonight. The goal of this class is that I will commit my life to the ultimate purpose of being a part, not a part, but a part of God's program in reaching souls for Christ. That's the goal of this class, that I will commit my life to being a part of God's program in reaching people for Jesus. So the focus of this class is we're going to focus on three topics related to your life's mission. Discovering your life purpose is the first one. The second one, sharing your testimony. And third, a commitment to going on at least one mission trip. And we deal with that next week in our last time together with this growth track. That's next week. But a commitment to going on at least one mission trip. These three things are designed to enlist you in the worldwide mission of sharing Jesus. So, call to proclaim. What does the Bible say about my purpose, your purpose? 
Now that we've learned about our spiritual gift, let's look at how to release it through our purpose. How many of you want God to use you to his glory? Amen? You want, you want to be a, an instrument in God's hands? Amen? Do you? Well, I'll tell you, that's been the passion that has eaten my life up, that has just consumed my heart since I was a teenager. Now, tragically, most people live out their lives without ever knowing the purpose of God for them. Purpose is crucial to a quality life. The Bible says where there's no purpose, the people perish. To live with or without purpose is the difference between a piece of driftwood and a compass-driven ship. Can I read that again? To live with or without purpose is the difference between driftwood and a compass-driven ship. I'll tell you, I get around people a lot. And it doesn't take me long to, to figure out pretty quickly... If somebody is just a piece of driftwood moving through life as life blows them about or as the river of life takes them. And somebody who knows what they're about in God, they have a compass for their life. That compass is the direction that God has taken them and they know what they're about. Now, folks, if you're just a piece of driftwood, I can't imagine a worse life. You know, a lot of people are that way, though. They're just drifting through life. But God didn't make us to drift through life. He made us to be purpose-driven. If I can borrow the title of the most sold book in the history of the world, Purpose-Driven Life, he made us to be purpose-driven. He just did. He just flat did. He made us with a purpose. Now, here's the definition of the Greek word purpose. Prothesis. Of course, we get prosthesis from that. But prothesis is a setting forth beforehand. In other words, God's purpose for us was laid out before time began. Let me read the verse to you. It's one of the most mind-blowing verses in the whole Bible. Ephesians 1.4. Long ago, writes Paul, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own. Now, if that doesn't twist your brain into a pretzel, I don't know what will. That God, before he said, let there be light, before he created everything that he did, he saw you and I in Jesus, and he had a purpose for us. Because God doesn't inhabit time. God inhabits eternity. We inhabit time, but not God. A day of the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So way back before God created the world, he saw you and me saved through his son, And he had a purpose for us. That's amazing. Now, there are three purposes in each believer's life. The first one is to glorify God. Our purpose, every believer in here, every believer in the world, is called to glorify God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 9, You are God's chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his very own possession. It is for you now to demonstrate the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his amazing light. What are we called to do? Demonstrate the praises of him. We're called to glorify God. We're called to glorify God. We're not called to glorify ourselves. We're not called to overly glorify another human being at all. We're called to glorify God. All right? That's his purpose. Jesus said, let your light shine like that in the sight of men. Let them see the good things you do and do what? Read it with me. Glorify your father in heaven. So that's the first purpose to glorify God. The second purpose God has for us is to become like Jesus. Romans eight twenty eight, famous verse for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son. So God's ultimate purpose, he makes all things work together for the good. And what is the good? The good is that we would be conformed into the image of his son. So God has determined, God has decreed that every believer will become like his son. Now the third purpose is to reach the lost. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You're the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. 
Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all to see. So we're called to reach the lost. Amen? Um, yesterday and today, I've been working on a, a piece that a magazine has asked me to write for them. Ministry uh, Today magazine goes all over the United States of America. It's a very, very well-known publication. They wanted me to write a piece on soul winning in the local church. Because, you know, folks, so many churches don't even try ever to win souls. But we need to. We're, we're, we're called to do it. Jesus told us to do it. He said, go into all the world. Don't make all the world come to you. You go into all the world and reach the lost. At Turning Point Church, we teach that the church should be a watering hole for the saints and a hospital for sinners. I love that. Any local church that is not winning the lost to Christ is missing one of its primary purposes. I truly believe that. Amen? I believe that any local church that's healthy is having spiritual babies. I believe that. In the youth, in the children's ministry, in the adult ministry, there ought to be people being born again in that church. To me, if, if people aren't being born again, something is being missed. All right? And the whole testimony of the early church as revealed in the book of Acts, fully affirms that statement. So, in the early church, there was an explosion of soul winning. There was an explosion of soul winning. Look what happened. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. Look at this, 3,000 in one day. 3,000 people added to the church in one day. That's a harvest day. Amen? And then it says in Acts 2.47, each day. Notice it didn't say each week or every year for the annual revival. That's not what it said, did it? It says each day. Read it with me out loud, everybody. Each day, the Lord added to their group. I'm hearing about five of you. Look in your manual. I want you to get this now. Each day, the Lord added to their group, group what? Those who are being saved. Now, were they being saved only by the preaching of the apostles? No. The people were out there winning others to Jesus Christ. It wasn't just happening through Peter, James, and John. But it was everybody was out there witnessing. Everybody was winning souls. Everybody. And that's why they were having souls saved every single day. Do you believe that could happen today? Do you? Yeah, because, you know, we've got a church of a couple of thousand people. Um, now... If all of them went out and every day or at least often were witnessing to other people, don't you know that that 2,000 would just begin reaching all kinds of people all the time? Amen? I want you to catch the vision. Look at Acts 4.4. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so that the number of believers totaled about 5,000. Now look, it's jumped from 3 to 5. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, assuming most of those men were married and most of them had children, we're talking about well over 10,000 people. So it jumped from three to over 10,000 people in a very short time. Now, the most profound miracle of all is the new birth. That is the greatest miracle of all. If today we had somebody here in a wheelchair, bless their heart, and they had not walked in their entire life. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Jeff, I want you to go pray for them and pull them out of that wheelchair. And I pulled them out of that wheelchair and they began to walk and they began to run. And they began to scream and cry. Would you consider that a great miracle? But I'm going to tell you, the greatest miracle of all is somebody who once was lost, but now they're found. Was blind, but now they see. Were dead, but now they're alive. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. The greatest miracle of all is the new birth. Jesus said in John 3, men can only, men can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Amen? Jesus told them, John 6, 29, this is the will of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. That's the will of God. 
You want to know what the will of God is? It begins with believing in the one he has sent. Yay, we got some manuals. There you go. We love you that much. Thank you, Tyler. Um, So stay with me. This is the will of God. That I believe in the one God sent. That's the will of God. Because the minute you do, you are born again. And that's the greatest miracle of all. A transformed life. Now, you know that God is moving when people are regularly being saved. If somebody says to me, man, our church is in revival. My first question is, really, how many are being saved? Well, I don't know about that. There's just a lot of excitement. Well, excitement is cheap. Excitement comes and excitement goes. I want to know if people are being saved. Because if the Spirit of God is moving, folks, here's how you will know. People will be getting saved. Show me any great revival in the history of Christendom. And I will show you a revival, Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, the Reformation. You can go through the great moves of God all the way back to the early church. And and they were all marked with people constantly being saved. Amen. It says the whole city was favorable to them. And each day, there that phrase is again, each day God added to them all who were being what? Saved. Saved. So they were in a major, major move of God in the early church. Now, many Christians don't witness out of a feeling of insecurity. I think that prevents people being saved more than any single thing. We're just insecure about bringing up Jesus to others. We're we're kind of shy. Uh, As a matter of fact, on the next page at the top, I have here the result is spiritual lockjaw. We're insecure. So we have spiritual lockjaw. See, we wonder, if I bring it up, what are they going to say? How will they say it? And what if they ask me a question I can't answer? And so since I'm not secure about it or sure about it, I'm just going to let other people who are older in the Lord than me or whatever, let them do the soul winning, and and one day I will too. The problem is that day never comes until you get rid of the insecurity. Would it help you to know that this is what plagued young Timothy Paul's son in the faith. And that's why Paul wrote to him and said, Timothy, stir up or fan into flame the gift of God in you. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What was Timothy afraid of? He was experiencing a fear of man. And so he was kind of uh, becoming reclusive as a pastor. He wasn't out there evangelizing anymore. Because in the same letter... Paul said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Well, wait a minute. He was a pastor. Yes, he was. But Paul said, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you shouldn't evangelize. All right? So Timothy struggled with it. Even Paul struggled with it. Paul, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Jesus promised this. I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply. That's for those who ask you the tough questions. See, when you're witnessing and somebody hits you with a tough question, Jesus said, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you something to respond with. Jesus also promised a great reward for those who were persecuted for sharing the gospel. I love this. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. God blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for God God, or a great reward awaits you in heaven. So when they make fun of you, persecute you, mock you, ridicule you, uh, ostracize you, reject you, Jesus said, get happy about it. Because there's a reward waiting for you in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Even Paul the apostle, folks prayed or asked the church to pray for him, pray for me that God will give me boldness in preaching the gospel. Even Paul needed Holy Ghost boldness. So let that encourage you. Now, let's talk about your shape again. And if you weren't here last week, you don't know what I mean by that. Shape is an acronym, and I'm about to show it to you and sort of refresh you on that. But let's talk about your shape in developing your outreach. Because all of us need to be involved in some kind of an outreach, some kind of a ministry. We've seen earlier that each Christian has a shape, and here's the way the acronym breaks down. The S is spiritual gift. 
Every Christian has a spiritual gift. The H is heart for a particular type of ministry. All right? God gives you a heart. And we talked about how to discover what God moves your heart with last week. We talked about it. The A is ability. Ability given by God to perform certain tasks well. And then the P is personality. He gives you a personality to suit what makes you a better minister and what he's called you to do. And then E, experience. The experience that you've had in your past that makes you a better minister. So let's say them together. S, ready? S, spiritual gift. H, heart for a type of ministry. A, ability by God to perform. P, personality that suits your calling. And E, your experience. So that's your shape. That's, that's who you are. That's your shape. That's what God wants to use in reaching people. God's purpose is that I use my unique shape to reach others for Jesus Christ. Now, I've noticed this. God often uses our natural strength and personality traits. In Matthew's gospel, I'll give you an example. In Matthew 4, 18 and 22, we find Jesus walking along the seashore and he sees four, four men. And two in particular, and he calls them. He approaches Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. He approaches these four. Peter and Andrew are, are seen casting their nets into the water to catch fish. Now catch that. Peter and Andrew are casting the net. Everybody say casting the net. So, so they're casting the net into the water. And, and when, remember when Jesus got into Peter's boat and, and he said, launch out into the deep. And he told Peter, cast your net. Because Peter was the net caster. That was just his natural personality. He went out there and he, that's what he did. But James and John weren't found casting the net. James and John were found mending their nets. Now, interestingly, if you track their life, when we read about Peter in the book of Acts, what is Peter doing? Spiritually speaking, what's he doing? He's casting the net. He is the roaring soul winner. He's a net caster. He's doing the same thing spiritually he was doing physically. All right? But what do we find John doing? John's recognizable refrain in the Bible, when you read 1, John, one 2, and 3 John, the letters he wrote, his recognizable refrain is this, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what I see him doing right there? He's mending the net. He's mending the net. He's not the net caster. He's the net mender. And folks, let me tell you, we need both. I'm a net caster. I've always been a net caster. But you know what I need working with me? I need net menders. Because there's one thing to, to win a bunch of people to Jesus. It's another thing to keep the church healthy, mended, whole, healed. So we need Simon Peter's and we need John's. Amen? Now, now which are you? Are you a caster or are you a mender? I'm just giving you an example here in the Bible on how God uses our natural giftings and abilities. He transfers them over into the spiritual arena. Okay? John is a healer of relationships, a champion of love, a net mender. But Peter's the net caster. God wants to use your unique shape to reach people for Christ. For instance, let me give you an example. If your spiritual gift is mercy... That's your spiritual gift. You can't see somebody hurting without going, oh, come here. Let me help you and heal you and hold you and pray for you and encourage you. That's mercy. I'd rather go on vacation with somebody with mercy than somebody who's prophetic. <laughs> Amen? I want merciful and I want encouragement. I, I like hanging around with merciful, encouraging people. I, prophets are good, but I can take them in small doses. But notice, my spiritual, if your spiritual gift is mercy, and mixed with that mercy, is you have your heart. The second letter, your heart is to reach children. But then we come to your ability. What did God give you as an ability? What did he put in your personality? What did he wire into you? Your ability is graphics. This is just a hypothetical here. Your ability is graphics. But then your personality is extroverted. 
You're always out there with the people. You love being around the crowds. You love being around the people. And then if you look at your past experiences, the E in shape, you had a deprived childhood. And somebody reached you for Christ when you were a child. So you got saved as a child. Now, so there's an, an incredible mix, all right? Because your spiritual gift is mercy, your heart is to reach children, you can use your ability in graphics to do artwork designed to reach children. And being extroverted in your personality, you want to be the one who stands up and shows the artwork to the children and tells the story behind the picture. And your past experience convinces you that they can be reached as a child because you were reached as a child. Do you see how the shape worked there? You see how that worked? Let me give you one more example. Let's say your spiritual gift is giving. All right? That's your gift. You're a giver. And, and God has given you the power to make a lot of wealth. And so you're able, uh, like the precious person who helped us last week, Sunday, put in our hands a $12,000 check for radio. Just wrote a $12,000 check and just gave it. All right? That's a, a gift of giving. So let's say your spiritual gift is giving, but then your heart, what God moves your heart with is to help the needy. But then along with your spiritual gift in your heart, your ability is to build and oversee projects. You're a builder. That's your ability. Your personality is extroverted and your experience is in construction. Well, what do you think you're going to do with that shape? Let me show you what you'll probably do or what you could do. This shape is of somebody moved by the spiritual gift of giving. Their heart is to help needy people. They have an ability in building and management and an extroverted personality and experience in construction. So this person could easily oversee and help finance repair projects on the homes of needy people. Doing something like this in the name of the Lord would be a tremendously effective witness. Do you see how we're taking two hypothetical examples of somebody's shape and showing you how that shape can be used by God to reach people. Amen? Amen? Amen. And you know what you ought to do? And what I'm going to ask you to do in a minute? I want you to get your shape. Look at your shape that you filled out last week. Now, not tonight, but, but this week, I'm going to ask you to write down a possible ministry scenario for yourself based on your shape. Because everybody in here has a shape. Spiritual gift. Heart for something in ministry, an ability that God wired into you, a personality that's either extroverted, introverted, or whatever, and you've got past experience that God wants to use in you reaching other people. Everybody in here has a shape. So the possible combinations are absolutely endless. Using your shape from your spiritual profile this week, please do it. Write down a possible scenario of ministry for yourself. Think of how you could take your unique shape, that's S-H-A-P-E there, and minister to people in the name of the Lord. Can I encourage you to do it this week? Because if you don't do it this week, you're never going to do it. Strike while the iron is hot. I mean, go home tonight. Just take 10 minutes and go, okay, here's my shape. How could God use me? How might God want to use me? I could go into my shape. I don't have time, but I'm going to tell you, my shape was totally suited to pastoring a church but you could never have told me that 30 years ago well 40 years ago because <laughs> 30 years ago I was pastoring time was moving on let me tell you um but yeah God had me pastoring before I even knew I was pastoring when I was 19 I was teaching the same group of people the word of God over a long period of time praying with them visiting them when they were sick, doing what you do as a pastor. I just never thought, hey, I'm a pastor. But I was doing it from the time I was 19. It was my shape. It's my shape. Right now, I'm moving in my shape. Amen? Now, remember, if you minister according to God's gifting and shape over your life, you will get maximum results with minimum effort. But if you try to minister in some area outside of your shape, you're going to get minimum results with maximum effort. You're going to live frustrated. God has his hand on every one of you here today. You're in this church for a reason. Those watching by streaming video, 
Most of them likely are in this church. You're in this church for a reason. God wants to use your shape in this church and through this church to reach the world. You. Not just me. You. God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of God, the work of ministry. The equipping of the saints. That's you. Amen. Now, let's go to the next page and look at how to have a good reach. We're going to do another acronym here. Once we've learned our shape, we've got to use it to reach out to others. Now, in the parable of the talents, you remember Jesus condemned the servant who buried his talent instead of using it for the kingdom. The Bible says, Jesus said, For the man who uses well what he has given shall be given more. And she, he shall have abundance. But from the man who is unfaithful and doesn't use well what he has been given, even what little responsibility he has shall be taken from him. It says, it should say him, not rim. It should be taken from him. All right? So, the man who uses what he has been given will be given more. But the man who doesn't use what he's been given will have taken away even what he had. So notice, Jesus was big on using what he gave us to reaching others. Now, you may have been in church your whole life, and you've never been in any kind of ministry. Well, you're in a different church now. I know of a pastor in California, he'll walk up to people in the hall who have just been there a month or two. I could give you his name, you, you, a lot of you would know it, but he walks up to people in the hall, and he says, what are you doing in the church? That is, what are you doing? What, what are, how are you ministering in the church? And if they say, well, I'm really not, he says to them, get with it or get out. Now, I'm not going to do that because I have a whole lot of people getting out. I'd rather work with you. But, but this, is what, this is his personality, and that's what he does. I, 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 he, t he said this in person with me standing there. I walk up to him in the hall. They, I shock him. The pastor walks up to him. It's a huge church, huge. He walks up to them. What is your ministry in this house? Well, you know, I really don't have one. How long have you been here? Oh, you know, a couple of months. Get with it or get out. I'm, I'm telling you that so you can be thankful I am who I am. Because I can see some of you going, oh my gosh. Don't, don't follow him, Pastor Jeff. All right. But I, I'm making the point that he is huge on, if God has you in this church... He has you, he doesn't have you here just to sit, soak, and sour. But he has you here to minister. Okay. Now, the Bible teaches us how to reach people for Christ. The following acronym will help you easily remember five simple truths about reaching others for Jesus through your shape. The first one, resist the temptation to be silent. Resist the temptation to be silent. 2 Timothy 1.6, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Here's the verse I knew was in here somewhere, and I quoted it earlier. Here it is. Even the great apostle Paul had to battle the temptation to be silent. He said in Ephesians 6.18, pray for me too, that I may be able to speak the message. How, everybody? Boldly. So resist the temptation to be silent. Second, Express your faith in love. Express your faith in love. Paul said, if I, if I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. There's a vast difference, folks, between preaching at and speaking to. We're not anointed to beat people over the head but to speak to their need for salvation. We're to invite them into the kingdom, not screen them into the kingdom. Amen? Now, believe it or not, I got a call last night at about 10.30. And it was from a person who was downtown Dallas. And I could hear screaming in the background. I'm serious. I get some, I get some really weird calls. And I hear this screaming in the background. And this person on the phone said to me, said, what can I do about this person? I, I, they're, they're about 25 years old. They have come out here 
to downtown Dallas. They're, they got a microphone, they've got this little boom speaker, and they're screaming at yelling and yelling at people to get saved or go to hell. And all they're doing is making people furious. What can I possibly do? And this person said to me, I've gone up to them. I've said, you're not doing anything but making people mad. And I can hear this person in the background just screaming bloody murder. You know, you're all going to hell. You're all a bunch of sinners. Now, all of that's true. But listen, folks, approach matters. Right? Approach matters. And this person said to me, I'm just going to walk up to them and take their mic away from them. I said, don't do that. They might hit you and then you're going to jail. You don't want to go to jail for somebody screaming like that. So eventually this person realized nobody's getting saved and they packed up their stuff and they went away. But here's my point. They weren't sharing the gospel in love. They were screaming. They were condemning. They were judging. That's not the way you reach people. You'll notice when I give an invitation on Sundays, I talk to them. I don't preach at them. I talk to them. I have in my mind, not a crowd, but I have one person in my mind. I, I act like I'm just talking to one person because to me, I am. I'm talking to a person. And, and listen, spouses need to learn this. If you've got a spouse that's not saved, they're not going to get saved by screaming and yelling or leaving tracks all over the house, you know, uh, underneath their pillow or when they pull the, you know, the covers back at night, there's this big track, you're going straight to hell, you know, none of that. That's not going to get anybody saved. People, listen, you got to mix the truth with love. Right? Jesus did. He sits down with a woman at the well. I love this because it's a study in how to witness somebody. He sits down next to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. She's a Gentile. She's not Jewish. She can't believe that a Jewish man is sitting next to her in the first place. And he starts talking to her about water, that if you'll drink it, you'll never thirst again. So he appeals to her curiosity first. She said, sir, really? You've got this kind of wonder water? I'll drink it, never thirst again? Give me some of this water. And then Jesus moved in, floated like a butterfly, stung like a bee. He moves in and he says, okay, go get your husband. Oh, no, we don't go there, Jesus, because you don't understand my history. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, you're exactly right. Now, notice he wasn't screaming, he wasn't yelling, he wasn't pointing, he wasn't condemning. He said, because you've had four. And the one you're with right now, in other words, you're shacking up. And I know it because I'm God. He's not your husband. Now, notice how he did it. He talked gently. He told truth. He's sitting next to her. He's being nice to her. And she got convicted. And she ended up evangelizing. She jumped up and said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. That woman had a definite grasp of the obvious. I perceive you're a prophet. And it says she went rushing into the town and told the whole city of men. She, she told all the men, come see a real man. I love that. Come see a real man who's told me everything that I've done. So Jesus mixed truth with loving concern. All right. Second, always be ready. Always be ready. Resist the temptation to be quiet. Express your faith in love and always be ready. Be ready at any time, the Bible says, to give a quiet and reverent answer to any man who wants a reason for the hope that you have within you. Isn't that powerful? Be ready at any time. Now let me ask you a question. Is that verse for preachers only? No, that's for everybody. Be ready at any time. Because you never know when you're going to have a time to tell somebody about the Lord. So, and notice how he says you're going to do it. A quiet and a reverent answer to any man who wants to know, why do you have this hope in you? Be ready. This is the message behind the gospel sandals. This is the message behind the gospel sandals and the armor of God. It means to be ever ready to share the gospel of peace. So resist, express, always, and then fourth, close your talk with an appeal. Close your talk with an appeal. 
All of this is in the article that I sent to Ministry Today magazine this week. I put all these things in the article. Close your talk with an appeal. We make an appeal by encouraging a response to shared truth. It's an invitation to prayer, either with you or they can even pray alone. You know, I heard the gospel in juvenile home when I was a juvenile delinquent in there for sale of narcotics and I never heard the gospel. I was 16 years old, headed for prison, never went to prison, but I was a hair away from it. And when this minister shared the gospel, then he closed with an appeal. And the appeal was, if you want to pray with me to receive the Jesus I just talked to you about, stand up. And I did. And I got saved that night, all right? Then, look at this, Acts 2.40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. Notice he's urging them to respond. Urging them to respond. So resist, express, always, close, and then H is help. Help them into a local church family. The Bible says that the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it grew in strength and numbers. Acts 2.47. It's not just our responsibility to win somebody to Jesus, but also to help them find a church home. Help them find one. This is why I want to encourage you always. You know, you've got neighbors, you've got coworkers, you've got family, you've got friends. Um, don't just tell them about Jesus. Invite them either to pray with you or to come to church. If you get them to church, they're liable to get saved. All right? So if you don't feel secure praying with them, just invite them to church. And soon we're going to be handing you a real easy handout for you to give to people to just say, hey, I'm inviting you to my church. It just says you're invited. It's a simple little handout. And if you have trouble, you know, talking to somebody about inviting them, just hand, hand these out. We're going we're gonna to give them to you at the door. Because we want people to be invited because we know if they get here, they're going to hear the gospel. And if they're lost, they're liable to get saved. Okay? Now, when these simple reach steps are followed, you will grow in your ability to reach others for Christ. Now, let's read Daniel 12, 3 together, and then I'm going to close by taking a couple of questions. Is Aaron in here? Aaron's not in here. Somebody else will have to run the mic around. Uh, Tyler or David can do it. Okay. But let's read together Daniel 12, 3. Read this with me. Those who turn many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. You want to shine like a star forever? Then get involved in reaching others for Jesus. Now, next week we're going to close out and, uh, this series and we're going to talk about sharing your testimony. It's probably one of the best parts of this whole growth track. So don't miss next week. But does anybody have a question for me based on what I've shared so far tonight? Anybody have a question that you want to ask me? Ask now or forever hold your peace. Let me look and see. It doesn't have to even be about this. Bible question. Anything. Anybody? Wow, that's a first. Okay, there's one. All right. He's coming to you with a mic. I missed the first week of this. Where do I go to get the fill in the booklet? He'll, she'll get it to you. What, what are you going to tell him? I'll tell everybody. Is it online yet? Okay. It, well, I'll tell you next week. She'll tell you tonight, but I'll tell everybody next week how they can get it. Anybody else? Any questions about this information, about reaching, about your shape, about anything? Anybody? Okay. You know, God said that uh, no man can come unto me except the Father draw him. Or is it Jesus said, actually, Jesus said that. But anyway, um, are you saying that we, in our outreach personally, in our ministry, that we could fulfill that role to a certain extent well i mean how will they hear without a preacher that's what it says nobody can be saved if they're not told about it so 
We, we do the telling, God does the drawing. Okay? Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, way over here. I guess my question is, what do you think about how your career lines up with your, like your heart and your passion and your, all these, the shape that you're talking about, does that coincide with like your career and your job too? Cause there's times where I'm like, man, I wish I could just work, you know, do stuff at the church and you know, so how does that, how do how would you explain that? How that, I, I believe every career is also a ministry uh, because God has you where he has you on purpose. See, I believe in a providential God. Now, what that means is that we're his children, and he places us where he wants us. I'm speaking on that this Sunday, on the sovereign guidance of God. And I'm going to use two examples in the Bible where God was ordering somebody's steps unbeknownst to them. He was placing them, bringing them where he wanted them, with them, at least for part of the time, unaware of it. I believe that God providentially places us. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Well, if all he did was put his people in in official church ministry, then there's nobody out there in the culture to salt anything or to shine with the light. So I believe that where he puts you, he intends you to be a witness. Now, I know that could be complicated, especially in a nation that is slowly but surely uh, outlawing Christian witnessing, like right now in, in California. It's unbelievable what's happening in California. But they, are, they have laws on b- before their council, before their governing body, they have laws waiting to be signed that are about to be signed where if, for instance, you are in a homosexual lifestyle and you come to me as a minister and say, Jeff, I'm so convicted, I want out, I want help. Can you help me uh, come out of this into um, the kind of lifestyle God wants me in? If I did that, I would be arrested. They call it conversion therapy. And they will not let me. It's getting where I think it's already in force now in some areas in California that if a minister tries to help someone in that lifestyle, they, they have broken the law and they can be arrested. Or they can lose their license. And some have lost their license. Okay, so we have this really unfortunate thing happening in our country that used to be so free in ministry. So, in answer to your question, there's teachers that can't say the name of Jesus. If you're a teacher out there, you can't minister to a kid uh, or uh, you might lose your job. You can't say the name of Jesus. You can't, because they will say that you're discriminating or that you're pushing a religion, that you're mixing religion with, with uh, education, and you can't do it. I saw a picture today of a security officer. No, no, it was a police officer in a certain city who was bowed down uh, at the door of his police cruiser He was about to get in it and just go do his job that day. And he was bowing down, giving Jesus his day. And he got hauled in. And he's in danger of losing his job because somebody took a picture of that and put it online. Just praying. Right? So it can be complicated. Sometimes you really do have to be a silent witness. You have to figure out how to let your light shine discreetly, creatively, Um, you know, and then there are times where if they look you in the eye and they say, you renounce Christianity or you're out of this job, you've got to, you've got to leave the job. You'll have to leave the job and trust the Lord to give you another door. But so I know it's complicated, but to summarize what I'm saying, I believe God puts us on purpose where we are. I don't care where it is, flipping burgers, you know. Uh, digging ditches, blue collar, white collar, executive, I, I don't care where it is. If you're a believer, I believe God has you there and wants you to somehow shine. So I want you to see your job as a ministry. Amen? All right, anyone else? Um, 
Say that, Valerie. Give Valerie the... For those of you who need to fill in answers in your book, it is on Facebook and it is on our website. You can watch the series. It started April 4th. Okay. All right. Any more questions? Maybe one or two more. Any, anybody else? Yes, sir. Way over here, Dave. When you're doing the, uh, the work of an evangelist, how do you go about initiating a conversation about God? Well, okay, you mean if you're just witnessing to others, not as an official evangelist, but you're just witnessing. It depends on, I look for a point of interest. I look for an opening. And, and I pray. I say, now, Lord, I don't have much time here because this, this little encounter is going to be over before long. So how can I open up the subject? And the Holy Ghost is always very, very faithful to give me an opening. A lot of times, it's just, uh, I'll say to them, do you go to church anywhere? And they say, well, you know, I, I almost always hear this, well, I used to. And I say, well, you know, I'm a pastor, and I would like to invite you, and I, of course, I'm a pastor, so that gives me sort of an easy entry. But you can say, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Or, hey, are you religious? Or, or listen for what they enjoy doing, and strike some common ground with them, and talk a little bit, and then just the Holy Ghost will show you how to broach the subject. And once it's opened, you're in. And I really believe it can happen in a minute or two in most situations. You can find an inroad and take it. But I lean on the Holy Ghost because different strokes for different folks, different people are different. And so it's, it's really not a one-size-fits-all formula. Uh, it's as you go, you witness as God leads. Does that help? Okay. Anyone else? All right, let's stand together. Y'all have been great. You've been subdued tonight, but you're great. I know it's the heat, right? No, I, I love you and I appreciate all of you being here. Next week we're going to finish this. And it's, it's a great, great, great time uh, because we're going to talk about membership covenant and we're going to look at how to give a testimony. And you know what a testimony is. You go through a test and you have some moaning. Without a test and some moaning, you don't have a testimony. Amen. All right. Let's, let's thank the Lord. Lord, we just thank you right now for your blessing. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, we just come into your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We thank you. The Lord, your hand is on us to make a difference for Jesus in this lifetime. And I pray, Lord, your touch and your ministry will be on and through every person in this church and can we just lift our hands to the Lord and if you can mean it say Lord use my life use my shape show me where and how to release my gift in the name of Jesus amen let's just worship